This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Once that gaming fraternity realises how powerful this kind of DeFi market and play to earn is, I think the crossover will happen very quickly and I think we'll start to see um, some of these gaming organisations and platforms that I'm sure probably have dozens of people working in this space right now behind the scenes, they will come through in leaps and bounds and they will do the best out of it. As you guys know, we have recently partnered with SwiftX, Australia's most trusted crypto exchange. Fun little story for you. Um, when they reached out to us, I wanted to make sure that I tested the product. We're not going to sell anything that we don't test. Uh, and after using the product, we transferred every single one of our crypto assets uh, across from Binance to SwiftX. Now, there's three reasons why. First of all, the UX UI and the customer experience is amazing. It's really, really simple. It's not daunting uh, like the others out there. Um, number two is the fact that uh, they have a really great customer um, uh, experience team uh, that look after you. Um, you know, if you email them, they're right there next to you, which is really important when you're dealing with something new, um, especially you know as it relates to crypto, because it can be quite confusing. And number three, it's Australian owned. And here on Pivotal Conversations, we back Australian companies. And that was a massive part of the decision for us. So if you want to start your crypto journey or you're not happy with your current exchange, you find it daunting and hard to use, then you can sign up with SwiftX using our affiliate link. Now, when you sign up using our affiliate link, they'll also give you a bonus $20 in Bitcoin. So thank you very much, SwiftX. You can find our affiliate link in the description below. But most of all, guys, I really hope you enjoy the episode. And once again, thanks for the support. Ridley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I was uh, lucky enough to, to come and watch you speak at an event, uh, well, it was last Wednesday? Last Wednesday night, yeah. Jeez, time flies. Um, NFT Melbourne. Um, and that was, I think, you know, from, from the perspective of how exciting the space is and, and you know, um, especially to uh, what's happening in Australia at the moment and, and how we're adopting it quite early. But, I, I you know, that was... That was a kickstart in the right direction, you know, for the space. And, and it was great to kind of listen to, you know, a little bit about your story and, and obviously how AO got into the space, which is what we're going to talk about today. So, um, you know, I just wanted to give the NFT Melbourne guys a bit of a shout out on that and, and definitely go and follow them on, on Twitter. But um, first where we might start is a little bit about your journey uh, and tell, you can kind of let everybody know. Uh, I'm sure there's some listeners that, obviously know a little bit about what you've done and, and, and especially what AO done, but a little bit about your journey getting into the space and mm. tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I got into crypto in 2017 um, when things were going swimmingly in the space and <laughs> everything was up and started buying a little bit and talking to some, some friends at work. At the time, I was working for a product design agency. I was doing a lot of work uh, in technology and, and use of new technologies like RFID, um, radio frequencies, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth and the like. So there was sort of a natural progression of learning about what was going on in, in the tech space, but then moving that into a more digital tech space as well. And so me and a couple of the guys at the office were dabbling a little bit in crypto. And, and then I actually changed positions and went to work at Tennis Australia in uh, late 2017, early 2018, just before the AO18. And that was the January that crypto absolutely dumped mm. and I was so busy with work through that period of January that I just ignored what was going on in the market and then sort of came up for air in February and the markets were all down 20, 30, 40% and that was a bit worrying for me and, and it was probably also a moment where I, I went, okay, I've got to recover from this somehow and, and did that through, I guess, educating and, and exploring more and there's so many different coins and avenues out there to get into that once I did start that exploration and education phase it put me in a better uh, knowledge more knowledgeable understanding and position to to help get myself back to where I had been only two or three months ago and that was sort of um, the start of my journey in this space I guess that then evolved into NFTs probably mid to late 2019, 
early 2020. Mm. Um, in the lead up to COVID, certainly um, was when I jumped into NBA Top Shot. I remember having, this was another work conversation actually, was walking through the office and a couple of guys said, hey, Reid, come and have a look at this. This is something that the NBA are doing. We don't know much about it. Have you heard of this? We know you dabble in crypto a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts? And then we sort of sat down and had a bit of a look at these pack drops that were selling out in moments and the demand was huge. And we were like, okay, this is an interesting concept. And it sort of played back to my card collecting days of mm. the what was probably the early 90s or mid-90s or something when I was playing basketball as a primary school kid and and uh, collecting cards on my, my way home from basketball and then trading them in the schoolyard sort of thing. So it's just become a digital evolution of that and I still do a bit of collecting in the, the background and that sort of came back to life through the NFT collection that I was building through Top Shot. And then the natural progression from Top Shot, which was quite a Web2 experience, uh, over the last couple of years was to move more into digital wallets and Web3 and start collecting, I guess, bigger, bolder NFTs in, in projects that, I guess, um, can be high risk, high reward for some part, but also have, I think, other elements to them that that we're educating the audience on right now. And that's the, the ability to integrate into charity donation and mm. Um, I think what we see what's going on in the world right now, we see how NFTs and crypto has made such a difference in uh, in the Ukraine-Russia moment, for example, that we're seeing tens of millions of dollars being raised and donated through this platform that, that is so easily accessible right now and has this, um, this sense of give, give, give rather than take, take, take. And I think that's what's been really refreshing in this space is that um, even as you mentioned, NFT Melbourne, Everyone there wants to give back in some some way, shape, or form. I think the uh, the network and the community that's been built around this space is uh, really refreshing and and quite interesting to see. Yeah, and and I think that you know there's a few points there that I'd love to touch on a little bit. But even you know the I think the hardest thing to get, wrap your head around with NFTs if you haven't come from a background of say collecting art or or you know maybe collectibles back in the day is that there's an investment in culture that you're making when you get into this space. And if you're an analytical mind who's a numbers person or, you know, and, and I guess like, you know, you could almost call these kind of people the Bitcoin bulls, right, where it's like, oh, it's a fad or it's, you know, it, you know, there's no value to it. But I think when you come from a background or you at least start to get some skin in the game with it, you realise that it is an investment in culture um, and value is created by the demand for something you know so the experience that you get from from art you know whether it's in your living room or whether it's mm -hmm. in an art gallery you know you're not just looking at singular pieces of art you're looking at a collective experience that you have connecting with this you know whatever it is that you're collecting or whatever it is that you're experiencing at the time um and then you know you you enter the web three and blockchain space now and and now there's not only just the artwork but there's also the added utility that can come through community and access and and even identity that comes on the back end right so absolutely i think that's the crazy thing and and the hardest part to people kind of understand the access and the utility and they don't understand that there's now an integration of these two things which you know really does create that kind of investment in culture yeah absolutely and look people have been collecting things for that networking and, and culture and uh community aspect for a long time whether it be cars or watches or hats or shoes or um, uh, basketball cards or baseball cards what it, whatever that happens to be people generally generally do that for a reason and one of those big reasons is the uh, the community that comes around that and the network that is um, and the like-minded individuals that come with that and I think uh, a lot of people look at different collectors items and the utility that comes with those and mm. like a, a watch for example and a lot of people collect watches that the utility is to tell the time mm. and a lot of watch collectors don't even wear their watches to tell the time so mm. they're not even utilizing the utility of it they're using it as a collectability or a status item or potentially a revenue generating item in the future that will increase in value and at some point they'll sell it and then they buy another one and whether they're using the utility or not or just uh, engaging with <clears throat> like-minded individuals in that space 
there's a number of different reasons that you can get into collecting and nfts i think one of the things with our project we identified is that we had four really strong pillars for people to to get into the project uh there was then pillars beyond that as well so the fourth the pillars that we looked at were the artwork uh the sport so the the tennis aspect of it the data so the the real-time updates that were happening uh per match and then the technology side of things so being that web3 native and then the first to do what we did in the market we gave people four main pillars but then underwriting that there was the the charity aspect that all the funds or 50 percent of the funds that we were raising uh, were going directly to the australian tennis foundation so we sort of provided so many reasons for people to get into the project that uh, i think that ticked a big box for us um, there's also the community that surrounds it and mm. then we have our discord and we have our twitter and you can see the the like-minded individuals coming to those spaces, talking about things that are not necessarily related to the project, but they're related to things that they enjoy talking about and they have common connection over. Mm. It's And that's such an important part, right? It's like, I feel like, and, and we've said this on the program a little bit, but the metaverse is, you know, when you don't, when you're not in the space, it's obviously like it's hard to look at this, you know, this word and go, oh, well, the metaverse. Like it kind of sounds like a bit of a head fake in a sense. But when you start to actually experience what these communities offer, um, you know, it's it's a place that you can go to talk to like-minded individuals. And you know, you mentioned something before around watches and why people collect things, but really, it's a form of signalling. And humans have been doing that since, you know forever you know it's it's built into us to do those things the way we dress the way we talk where mm. we live the houses we buy the neighborhoods we live in you know there's so you know, literally everything we do is to signal um to, to other humans um and you know uh, to think that that doesn't exist in this world is is you know it's absurd um but you know tying that back into what we were just talking about with the metaverse, mm. you know, it's kind of like this is, you know, the, the different projects you collect are another way for humans to signal, but it also grants access to a community in which you meet other people that are, have similar beliefs and values. Um, you know, and, and I think once you start to look at it that way, you know, like a lot of people who are listening to this are like, okay, like how do I get into this space? And a lot of people enter the space with this idea that it's about becoming an overnight millionaire and flipping NFTs and finding the projects and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I did, you know, I went in and I think I gave myself a budget, right? And I said, I'm going to go in and I'm going to make this at much of money. Uh, and very quickly found out that if you go in with that kind of mindset, it's, it's uh, you know, it's just not the way to, to obviously... Um, to kind of view the space because um, you can you can often you know run into making mistakes and and to be honest it's just not what it's all about and once I changed that and started to look at it differently you know it's funny like it's not that the, the the goal wasn't to make money but it's funny the projects you end up in when you start to look at it differently right yeah totally I, I think back to your, your point on the metaverse like I think in a way we've kind of all been living in the metaverse for probably the last 10 15 20 years like I think you mentioned sort of the, the status aspect and, and creating an identity. Like, look at MySpace. We all created our own identity. You picked the way that your page looked. You picked the profile photo that you had. You picked the song that went on your profile. Uh, you picked your top friends list. Like, <laughs> oh, that how controversial that, that got, was that? That got sticky. <laughs> that got really sticky. I remember my best friend put me second like a few times. And I was like, mate, what you, like, it actually hurts. No more. You go to school the next day and you feel a little bit... This, this is the thing, like we're, we've kind of evolved from MySpace days into to Facebook and then people played Sims in the background and we've, I think we've been creating these worlds for a long time and whether they were created in on your Nintendo 64 platform or your Sega or whatever it happened to be, you were, you were exploring virtual worlds in the form of games and, and people still do and those worlds have become more realistic in the last five to ten years in, in leaps and bounds and the technology is facilitating that and what we're now seeing through uh, Web3 and a lot of online uh, use of digital wallets and the like is a progression of that technology that we've seen evolving and I, the, the Web3 digital wallet experience right now is 
is early days. Like it's it's a clunky, um, rudimentary experience that I liken to credit cards from 25 years ago when you used a credit card and they put it in that little machine that clicked clack back and forth and made a carbon copy of your credit card. And then the business took that to the bank and they processed hundreds of those and then debited that from your account. That's where we are now. But eventually we got FPOS machines and you swiped your card and then you got a chip in the card and then you inserted the card and it Mm -hmm. made it faster. And then you got RFID in the card and then you tapped the card. And then that came into your digital wallet, effectively what was the first digital wallet through your phone. And then that's now in your watch. And this has all happened in... 15, 20 years very quickly with the use of technology. And that's where I see this space going in the next probably two, three, five, ten years is that what is that quite clunky experience that right now people are like, how do I make money out of this really quickly and how how am I going to become the next millionaire? It's the wrong attitude to take because uh, I don't think anyone went into MySpace or Facebook or Instagram thinking that attitude. They went in thinking, how am I involving myself in this network how am I using it for status how am I finding like-minded people that I want to converse with in this space Um, much like chat rooms like chat rooms have existed for years and years and years now like a lot of these nft projects facilitate that conversation with like-minded people and and that's not just about getting in there and talking about the weather it's about talking about uh, sport or art or um projects that are that are happening in the space and mm-hmm. things that engage with the community at a at a very micro level at for a lot of uh, a lot of moments in in those conversations yeah it's funny it's like and i definitely think the hard part about that is the fact that we are now experiencing say you know similar experiences that we had in web 2 but now there's value attached right and and that's probably, you know, it's human nature. We try to exploit value whenever we can. Absolutely. Um, so, but I, I think, I mean, I, I want to come back to obviously the, the, your, the AO project, but there's a, a kind of question that I'd love to ask you to see where your head's at as it relates to the space and where you think it's all going because it kind of ties into what we're talking about. But how does that value piece start to shift society as a whole? You know, like, like this is a big question. But it's like, how does the ability to earn an income in this world start to shift the world that we've probably experienced over the last 20 years, you know, in terms of um, opportunities around income? Like, there's people doing this full-time now. Absolutely. uh, And there's every opportunity in the future that some of these, you know, uh, experiences or that, you know, that we're kind of talking about become micro economies Mm. and actually provide full-time jobs like how do you see it you know from that perspective and how do you see it changing things in the future yeah i think there's 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 two parts to the value question one is financial value and then one is value in the eye of the beholder and Mm. that's the i think they're two very different things and when we talk financial value i think i liken that to traders who who currently their full-time job is is trading on the stock exchange or the markets and predicting that and using skills and knowledge that they've built in that space to do that and a lot of people wouldn't look at that as a typical nine to five type job they're they're people that sit up through the night and trade uh, whichever market happens to be open at the time we're looking at a very similar situation right now with the crypto markets and, and whatnot, that as they become more mainstream, more people are going to get into this as a, a full-time role. Mm. And who would have thought that being an Instagram influencer five years ago or 10 years ago would be a full-time role for a lot of people these days? Like, I think we're seeing this evolution in the use of technology in everyday life that it's creating roles and, and businesses and careers for people that they can then earn a living through. Mm. Um, Sometimes it'll be an amazing living. Sometimes it may not be and they'll do an enormous amount of work and probably within a couple of years move on to something else or they'll have a a secondary job at the same time. There's also then the non-monetary value that comes with this space as well and that is things like um, accessing events like we had last Wednesday. We, We gave people access to that event through being 
an AO art ball holder mm. and we gave away a number of tickets for that. So there's there's utility that comes along with these projects in the form of not necessarily financial um, reward, I guess is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, amazing. I think that was really well put. Um, definitely. Uh, yeah, and I think around... What do you... So, okay, so w- my mind's going now. Yeah, go for it. So... Because there's obviously the trading and the the collecting and the the different side of it, but you know a lot of the projects that you're investing in now are very new, right? Mm-hmm. And and some have been around a lot longer than others, and and you can even see some of the leaders and a lot of projects that we probably seen a year ago in the space don't exist now, or they, you know, they they're gone. Yep. But I think that you know, like, do you see some of the winners, the real winners that are that would come out of this space in terms of projects providing, you know, because there's a lot around play to earn mm-hmm. and these kind of things, you know, and, and like, how do you see that space coming? Because that's, you know, like, uh, I think another thing that people don't understand around NFTs is eventually in some of these kind of projects, you're going to be able to use your NFT to play this game, yep. right? Yeah. Like Axie Infinity, right? Mm-hmm. So when I first looked into Axie, I go, holy shit. I think we all had this that This is the <laughs> biggest thing I, I've seen it ever. Like yeah. the yeah. business model, the, you know, the revenue that they were producing, the, the adoption of it, the equal opportunity for equity. Mm. Um, sorry. The equal opportunity for equity um, that I looked at you know, in terms of you got people in the Philippines, you know, doctors earning more for playing this game than what they would for being a doctor. Do you see a lot of these projects heading in that direction and providing the ability to earn through even just existing? You know, like there's yields, there's these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the play-to-earn model, if executed in the right way, is going to be huge. I, I don't doubt that. Like, when we and I, and I know that the gaming world of, of gamers right now and and NFTs and and crypto haven't really crossed over. Like there's there seems to be a bit of almost animosity between the two spaces right now. But I think once once that gaming fraternity realizes how powerful this kind of DeFi market and play to earn is, I think the crossover will happen very quickly, and I think we'll start to see. Um, some of these gaming organisations and platforms mm. that I'm sure probably have dozens of people working in this space right now behind the scenes, they will come through in leaps and bounds and they will do the best out of it. They have an audience of millions and millions of people that are playing at the moment and they're earning, but they're not earning dollars and cents. They're earning uh, rewards or they're earning access to new levels and they're earning access to new skins or new weapons or whatever that happens to be in the game that they play. That, with this space, can become almost a 360 environment where the play-to-earn ability uh, is translated into dollars and cents. And that will be a huge opportunity for not just the gamers but the organisations that are building those networks as well. Yeah. I almost think, like, um, you know, it's like could be the first time in, in a gamer's life that his, you know, wife turns around and says, play the game for as long as you want Literally. type thing, you know. <laughs> and I think the whole space in general, the way I look at it is, like, it just allows us to spend more time doing the things we're passionate about, you know. Yep. Um, yep. You know, you can, uh, no matter what you're interested in, you know. So I think that's the really exciting thing moving forward. Absolutely. Like, even looking at the, the Instagram influencer example, like, who would have thought that five, ten years ago, being a professional gamer would be a, a job that you could have and earn really, really good money. Mm. Um, there's there's the ability with this technology to take that down to the lower levels and we all, or the majority of us, go to work every day and we're kind of working to earn. So why not have a play-to-earn model that you work for eight hours of the day, you'd sleep for eight hours of the day and then there's a, another bucket of, of time there to eat and play and socialise and whatever and... And whatever you happen to do with your time then and there, if there's an ability to earn or be rewarded for that, then absolutely. I think if people want to do that, more uh, more power to them. 
Yeah, I mean, it's such an amazing space when you think of it, even just the conversation just then kind of, it's like, wow, what does this look like in a year? What does this look like oh, in yeah. two years, yeah. five years, ten years? Um, so I'm interested to hear kind of what, we'll go back to, you know, your your journey and, and obviously now you're at AO um, and, and, you know, you had some projects with Australian Open and and you've been in that in that role for a while now but what actually made AO want to get into the space like what was the initiator where they thought nah we've got to do this yeah so i've been at tennis for a touch over 4 years now so this year was my 5th AO that's usually how we measure it how many AOs have you have you done yeah um i think we saw the the space progressing really quickly probably 12 months ago a bit over 12 months ago mm. and it actually came through the partnership opportunities or the business development opportunities that were existing in that space. And we started to see the likes of crypto.com and some of these uh, these other big brands investing into sport big mm. time. And so we were looking at that as, okay, how do we open up partnership opportunity in this space for some of those brands? And I guess parallel pathing that at the same time, we were exploring what does the NFT space look like for tennis? And as I've, I've mentioned on a, a couple of talks and whatnot, the tennis fraternity is very fragmented. So unlike the NBA Players Association where they all sit under the same umbrella and you sign away IP rights all at once, tennis players are all managed individually. And you've got the, the ATF and the ATP and the WTA and then all the Grand Slams mm-hmm. and then all the players. And some are managed by their mother and some are managed by their brother and some are managed by, by global businesses. And to get access to a player's IP, you have to go to that player directly and they have to release it to you. So what we realised pretty quickly was we couldn't... It was going to be extremely difficult to build a model like a Top Shot style model for tennis. Uh, So what we then did was go back to the drawing board and go, okay, what does this look like in the world of tennis and the Australian Open? And how do we create value for the consumer? And that consumer is an AO fan or they're a Web3 crypto native. And where we saw a big cross-section of of opportunity there was, I guess, taking the Australian Open to a fan that exists anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Could be Melbourne, could be New Delhi, could be New York, wherever Mm -hmm. they happen to be. They don't have to necessarily be a passionate tennis fan Mm. or a passionate AO fan. They could be a Web3 crypto fan. And if we could get them to come across to the tennis world, that was great. Mm. Likewise, if we could get the tennis fan to go across to the Web3 world a little bit and start exploring there, then there was this really nice cross-section. So ultimately what we wanted to do was, I guess, take the AO further to the world through the metaverse or through NFTs. Mm. And what we what we identified pretty quickly is that there's a, a huge audience out there for that. Um how do we access that audience and where are they right now? Because they're not on our social media um, pages. They're not following us on Instagram or Twitter and they're probably not engaging with with the normal tennis community for the most part. Uh, likewise, with the tennis community, uh, they're not necessarily in discords and, and mm, in yeah. NFT projects. So how do, we, how do we blur the lines between the two communities that we're, we're talking to? That was through taking tennis and the AO to the the Web3 community that was already out there. Hence why we went to Decentraland. Mm. We knew that if we built our own platform and and did it for our audience, it wouldn't work. And the noise that happens around the AO every year would make it incredibly difficult for us to access that tennis audience and bring them into that world. So when we looked at options for where do we go – We looked at Decentraland and said, hey, there's an audience there. Let's take the AO to that audience and let's engage them while they're already playing or exploring that world. Uh, And likewise with the NFTs, we we knew we couldn't use players. Uh, So we had to create something that was completely unique that spoke to the crypto native audience that I think the... A lot of people talk to us about, oh, why didn't you just use players and why didn't you just do what top shot have done like that the model has worked so well for so many sports right now and not only did we know the challenges that came with that we wanted to do something completely new and unique that didn't just look at it like 
didn't just give the impression that we were going, hey, us two, me too. We're going to yeah. go and do that. And I think that's important. Like, you know, one thing that I looked at and, and like when I, when, it f- when, you got, when I first started to hear about it was it is very different. And you've got to be really careful in the space, as you know, with like, uh, you know, it's very, you, you know, it's very, it, your reputation means more in this world than anyone has ever realized before, you know, it, and that's because there's value attached. And when there's value attached, the consequences of, say, you know, even if it's not an intentional action, but it's an action mm. that causes someone to lose value. Absolutely. Right? There's, yeah. They don't forget that, you know what I mean? Especially in the current environment, mm. right? And I think that was something that I looked at with you guys and got, oh, that was really cool because... Um, you know, if you were to go down the top shot route and just kind of go, you know, and, and do players, you, as you said, it could come across as, well, just us two, or, you know, just wanna, we just want to make some money, or we just, you know, and it can be viewed as that. Mm. Even though you guys had the charity attached and all of that, like, there still has to be that foot in the door. And, and I think that's really cool about the way you guys went about it is it was so different uh, and it was very nuanced and, and, and it made people actually start, you know, like, you understand a collectible really, really easily, mm. um, but when you mix it with some of the stuff that you guys did, it actually intrigues you. Like, I remember looking at it going, hang on, how does this work? Like, I, I want to read in more into this, and I want to actually start to understand how it works. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, we were lucky in the sense that the, the AO and Tennis Australia has incredibly valuable IP, and we're incredibly trustworthy. Uh, I think tennis as as a sport in general is actually probably one of the most trusted sports mm, and, and such a reputable sport that when we dipped our toe into this space, I think people believed what we were doing and they believed the project because of the the innovation and the the chance that we took on pushing the boundaries in this space. And that's where we talked to that crypto native web3 native audience so well because they were like wow you guys are doing something that we've never seen before mm. and when you tie a really reputable brand to that it it's a recipe for success if we were a garage shop in the back lots of melbourne ideating something to put out to market and not putting our identity to it different story yeah 100%. I, I think that's when you go oh is this a rug pull what are they what are they coming at us for? Where's my money going? Is it really getting donated to charity? Uh, what's happening with the project post this week, post next week? And I think that's where a lot of people are very hesitant about this space, that you need to do your research into the projects that you're investing in. And like you said, when, when there is money involved and people's hard-earned, then they need to do their research. And just because the space is hot right now doesn't mean you should just go and spend your money on the first project that you see mm. because your friend did or because you saw a sponsored post on Instagram or you saw something on Twitter or someone in a Discord said, this is going to be huge. You're like, well... <laughs> it's mooning. Yeah, it's literally, it's mooning. <laughs> LFG, okay. Um, yeah, you need to do your research. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Y- you wouldn't go and spend $300 on a piece of clothing without trying it on. Well, some people might, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I think you'd probably do the research in what was comparable. You'd know the brand. You would know the quality of the product that you were buying. You would know what the returns policy was. You would know how long that brand had been around. And this is almost no different. And I think that's why Topshot has done so well and the NFL product through through Dapper and the UFC and, and now uh, Cryptos through the ICC uh, and the AO project. And I think for the most part, the AO Artball project is one of the first to really dive into true Web3 and and take that chance. And we knew that there was risk there, but I think we're also looked at as an incredibly innovative organisation and forward-thinking organisation. And we weighed up those risks and, and what that meant to our business and, and the IP and the value in the IP that our business holds. And if we didn't believe that that risk was worth it, we wouldn't have done the project. Yeah, you shouldn't, you know, like you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't even put your toe in in the first place. Of you know, you're in or you're not. You know what I mean? So, definitely, I'd love to touch on the projects, right? And mm. and kind of give the audience if they maybe, you know, they might have seen it, but they might not have kind of taken a look and look into it. But 
kind of go through the, the three projects, the AO Balls, the Decades Collection, um, and... Decentraland. Decentraland, yeah. Sorry, we just talked about that. Um, and talk a little bit about that. Because the, the Decentraland one is an interesting one that I think not many people... Mm. You, you know, people understand NFTs. I think the AO Ball will be a really good one to discuss because yep. the, you know, using data in that and heavy data as well. But um, Decentraland is one that I don't think unless you're deep into the, the space that you kind of understand what it is and what they do. Of so. course. Um, and look, the Decentraland is a little bit like Second Life from a few years ago. You you went there for an element of escapism and I think that's what people are doing now, but they're also also going for the gamification that comes with it and the exploration of finding new things and doing new things and and talking to new people and experiencing a world through their screen that is beyond what they're getting in the real life. Mm. And something like COVID has absolutely fast-tracked this because people have been stuck in their houses for a couple of years now. And their only outlet for for a lot of that time was to get on their computer and explore. And I think that also echoes into NFTs as well, that a lot of people came into this space purely because they wanted to explore and see what was available. So as I mentioned just just a bit earlier, the reason that we we went to Decentraland is because there was an audience there. What we wanted to do and our objective through doing that was to create the world's most accessible sports and entertainment event. Whether that was walking through the gates in Melbourne in real life or coming in a a wheelchair because we're completely accessible and and have a, a wheelchair competition that runs for a week and a half of the tournament or accessing that from the other side of the world through Decentraland, we're a completely accessible event. And what we wanted to do through the Decentraland build was give people a reason to come back once, twice, three, four, five, Mm. 14 times, if not more, throughout the tournament. So what we did, we built a strategy around return visitation, like we do at the real event in Mm -hmm. Melbourne. We want... um, we want a family to come on day one when it's still school holidays and bring the kids and go to the ballpark and then have an ice cream and have a, a pizza on Grand Slam Oval as a family. And then by two or three o'clock in the afternoon, everyone's exhausted and you go home and the parents go, oh, we didn't really see any tennis. We didn't get to experience the whole AO. Let's go back on Wednesday night and we'll get a ticket in Rod Laver Arena and we'll have a, a champagne and a nice dinner at a restaurant and then we'll watch some tennis just the two of us Mm. so they come back on Wednesday and then they go well we feel like we kind of missed out on the party aspect of the event we didn't see any music and we didn't really see any of the entertainment Uh, so we're going to come back with our friends on the weekend and I'm going to have a bit of a party on Grand Slam Oval or go to the live music stage and see an act that I want to see and so there's this return visitation element and we had to mirror that in the virtual world as well because what we did identify was that we're we're building a much smaller footprint than mm. the in real life experience. And obviously you can't build as many physical touch points in the virtual world as you can in the real world. So we did that through gamification and use of uh, our archival footage, which we have 50 years of. So each time someone came back into our Decentraland build, they could collect a different wearable. They could complete a different game that they couldn't do yesterday they were seeing different footage on the big screens that they didn't see yesterday or the last time that they were there. And they were seeing different people and different audiences wearing different things in Mm. that space. So much like in real life, the audience on the first Monday versus the middle Saturday versus the final Sunday are three completely different audiences. So giving that sense of I'm getting something new and what's new now and where do I go to get this gave the audience in that space a real sense of, I guess, a challenge of like, what's next? And I think that's what we do when someone walks into the gate at Melbourne Park. They go, well, where do I go next? It's a bit of that Disneyland vibe of Mm. what what should we go and see first? What should I do first? What do we need to tick off the list? What don't we want to miss out on? What ride do we have to go on? And we wanted to create that. And I I think we did that quite successfully through the Decentraland build. So... Was the Decentraland build a direct replica of, say, um, you know, the experience and the, the kind of, I guess, the build that you would do in real life and then people could kind of enter the space and explore that way? Yeah, uh, essentially, yeah. So we 
we built, I guess, what we would consider the most popular aspects of the AO. Yeah. We purely didn't have enough time, course, yeah. resource, or land, Indie Central land, to build every aspect of the AO. There's obviously limitations within that space as well as to what you can uh, build or execute that, that works. Um, there's also positives in that instance that you can build things in the virtual world that you can't build in real life yeah. or that we physically can't put in Melbourne Park. So when we had the giant Ferris wheel and we toyed with putting a skate park in there and we had cannons that you could get shot out of and get shot across the precinct <laughs> as like, if you need to get from one spot to another really quickly, hop in the cannon and get shot over to the other side, which obviously IRL, you walk for 10, 15 minutes to get to the other side of the precinct. Yeah. So there was advantages and disadvantages to that. So yeah. we built the kids ballpark. That was where we wanted it to be fun and engaging and gamification. We had to have Rod Laver Arena. We had the new... Um, beach house area that we wanted to replicate as well because that was something completely new and unique to our event then we had grand slam oval and that was where you had the big viewing experience and it's typically where you would get a lot of the food and and party like environment at the ao and then there was garden square as well which is typically uh, your tennis fan who comes in at 10 30 11 o'clock wants their deck chair in garden square doesn't go to any live tennis but will sit there and watch on the big screen all day long. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to sort of pay homage to all of those different spaces uh, without necessarily having 30 tennis courts in Decentraland because we, what were we going to do with 30 tennis courts in Decentraland? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. Um, so we, we wanted to create things that were meaningful to the audience that was coming there as well. <sighs> Very cool. Man, so cool. So cool. <laughs> Thank you. It's just amazing. And I think it's amazing the thought that you guys have put into it as well, just around recreating those experiences. Uh, and, and, and it, I mean, even from a strategic perspective with going back to the, the goal, right, where you've got an audience there and you want to kind of blur those lines and, and obviously allow people from both sides to start to merge and, and experience both sides as well. I think that's cool with the, the way you went about it and the Decentraland move was... Um, it was quite amazing, you know, like I, th I, I really do think so. Um, and then, so let's talk about the AO balls because I mm. think that's something that I found really, really interesting and, and you said it before, which I'd love you to touch on and what you meant by it, but, you know, true Web3, you know, like kind of going to the core of the philosophies and, and the utility it creates for the world. Yeah, so when we talk about sort of true Web3, our first port of call was what blockchain are we going to sit on? Mm. Um, this probably has to be Ethereum if we want to talk to this crypto-native Web3 audience. Uh, and what is the product? And, and what is the utility of that? And what is the experience to uh, purchase or purchase on the secondary market? Um, what is the minting experience? What mm. does the website look like? Um, it's this really fast-tracked UX, UI that is becoming more native to people using digital wallets that you log on to a website or you don't even log on sorry you you literally land on a website <clears throat> and you connect your digital wallet and that provides you with almost a window through to the back end of that mm. and then there's the smart contract aspect of it who builds that um are they trustworthy do they have a a track record of, of doing this what are the things that can go wrong um because we are exploring this space right now there's there's not a lot of I guess, experts that can do everything. I don't think there are any ex experts that can do everything. So you have to work with a number of different organisations mm. to ensure that all the touch points are seamless. The technology is rigid and not going to fail at any point if 50,000 people land on your website at once, that mm. it's not going to crash, um, that the contract is stable, that the minting process is stable, um, what happens when someone gets their ball? What's happening on the secondary market? Are there copycat projects out there that are pretending to be you? Uh, and we absolutely had that. Yeah. Uh, there's so many elements to it that you have to take into account. So, yeah, when we when we went True Web 3, we wanted to, I guess, challenge what that could be. Mm. Um, for the most part, I think people think about this, this NFT world right now as jpegs and that's it why are you buying pictures of apes for five hundred thousand uh, dollars 
we wanted to make sure that we created a, a project that wasn't just JPEGs and it had utility and it had a data integration that kept the project live at all times. And by live, I mean, I guess, evolving at all times. And that was there was a moment where we had two separate projects. One was the AO art ball mm. as a tennis ball rendered to look like it had art on it. Um, then there was another one where we were using the line calling technology to create art through the data. And we didn't feel that those projects stood by themselves strong enough. And then we had this moment where we were like, well, why don't we use the data from project B and link it with project A and bring the two together and create this kind of amalgamation of NFT, artwork, sport, data, technology. And there was a moment we were all on screen because we were all still working from home that we all just sort of stopped and looked at each other and were yeah. like, wow, this is a game changer. No one's done this before. Um, how do we do it? It's the first or second week of November right now. Our <laughs> event is happening in weeks, not wow. months. Um, we knew that the AO was starting on the 17th of Jan and that wasn't going to move for us. So we had to move really quickly for it. And if we wanted to achieve what we believed we could achieve, um, we had to get the right team around us and the right people in the right running lanes that knew where the finish line was and how to get there and that they weren't going to sway across anyone else's lanes and get in their way. And there was probably those moments where <clears throat> we we managed to cut through the red tape that often comes with these sort of projects working in an organisation like tennis and the mm. AO. Um, there can be a lot of bureaucracy at times. There can be a lot of red tape. I think when we're working in a space that's so new like this, there was a lot of trust that went into both myself and, and the team that we had built around this project to say, hey, we trust what you guys are doing. You make the decisions. If you need assistance or need help making those decisions, come to us. But otherwise, we believe that you're doing the right thing here. Mm. And that helped us move incredibly quickly. Yeah. And I think at one point there was probably 25, 30 people who had their hands over the project in some way, shape or form. But by no means was that ever looked at as too many cooks in the kitchen. Everyone had a running lane. Everyone knew where they had to go and how to how they had to get there or what they had to do to get there and everyone just ran really quickly and mm. I think that that helped as well because timelines can often be your friend and your foe I think they were both in this instance they were our friend that we only had days and weeks to work on this we didn't have months and years so we didn't fluff around with the gray areas it had to be green or red and that was it <coughs> black and white it's probably a better example yeah 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 um, yeah it it, it meant that we moved really quickly. Um, it also meant that once things were up and running, that was it. You couldn't really change them. You, you couldn't go back and reinvent the wheel again. Um, so, yeah, once we sort of got through that Christmas, New Year's period, which we tried to take a little bit of a break, <laughs> remembering that that's thrown right in the middle of our timeline. Yeah. Uh, we got to the, the first couple of weeks of January and... Obviously, there was an enormous amount of noise around the AO for various reasons. So we had to sort of cut through that noise as well. And we, we did that through um, partnering with the likes of Medikey and, and NF Teams and, and talking to their community that already existed in this space mm. about what we were doing and how we were going to change the game with this project. And all of a sudden, we had all this involvement from other NFT projects and people like Maddie from Medikey who have an exorbitant amount of knowledge in this space to, I guess, help us go on that journey. So then we came to a few days out from the event and we went to Mint, 50% to Medikey and unbelievably sold out in 30 minutes. Crazy. And that created this whole lot of wow in the market and everyone that was already involved in the project from a I guess a public standpoint was now looking at us going, geez, these guys have created something that's just sold out in minutes. Um, we need to get involved. And then so Mint public Mint Day came around and we sold out in three minutes of our second 50%. So the total being 6,776 units. Um, I don't think any of us could have expected that. And 
I think we've seen in so many project projects in the past that have sold out that quickly, something goes wrong. Yeah. So many people hit the website. So many people are clicking the mint button at once that something ultimately breaks. Yeah. And from our end, the team had built things so structurally sound that we didn't have any problems whatsoever. And I think if there's any advice that I can give to anyone listening or looking to get into a project or exploring this space, it is build a team around you that you feel comfortable with and you trust. And if you ever have any doubt in any elements of that scaffolding that's being built around the, the project, fix it or find a solution or ask questions as to why and ask question after question after question um, until you find out why your gut felt that way. Yeah, and that's an amazing story, uh, especially because of the time frame. You know, there must have been, <laughs> I mean, at, at, and at some point you go, that's what it's all about, right? That's why you're in it. You know, you, you do love those moments where the pressure's on and you have to perform. That's kind of the funnest part. But um, yeah, that's just an amazing story to hear how it all come together. So I'm interested, I mean, more so just for the listeners, for, for, for the listeners at home, because you said you moulded the, the kind of the data aspect of it and you moulded that into obviously the AO balls and moulded that together to create um, a project that kept kind of evolving. Mm. Do you want to just explain, you know, quickly about like how that actually occurs, you know, and kind of what the project created just so that they can, they can start to conceptualise it a little bit? Yeah, sure. So we, when we created the art ball, each art ball was then tied to a 19 by 19 centimetre piece of a virtual Australian Open court. What we then did was take the the ball tracking data from every match, essentially every point in every match, we we now track the ball for the line calling data. So mm, we don't yeah. have lines people anymore. <coughs> um, that then provides us with an exorbitant amount of really rich data to say, hey, where did the ball go? How did it fly? What was the spin rate? Where did it land? What happened in this point? Um, so we decided to pinch, I guess, just a small piece of that data, which was the the match-winning point from each match. Yeah. So 400-plus matches throughout the tournament across 11 championships, um, right through from the men's and women's singles through doubles right down to the, the wheelchair events as well. Um, each of those winning moments was then tied to one of those 19 by 19 centimetre plots on the court. And... We then updated the data in, in each of those winning NFTs to represent who was playing in that match, which championship it was part of, and then which round of that championship it was. So whether it was a round match, quarterfinal, semifinal, or final. Yeah. Um, and it, it added an element of gamification that I don't think we thought it was going to at the start. When we just had the idea of, hey, let's blend data with art, I don't think we ever envisaged that... Let's just try to find a way to totally, make it work. Yeah. Literally, yeah. And we were moving so quickly that we didn't have we didn't have the opportunity to sit down and go, oh, how does this work? Yeah, and why yeah. is this meaningful to a consumer? This is all stuff that we realised throughout the journey. And people were having those moments that were like, oh, hey, I would buy it for this. Or I would love to get back into tennis for this. And now I'm watching tennis until the, the match point where I've... <laughs> never done that before or I haven't picked up a racket in 6, 12, 18 years since I was at high school or whatever and I was playing on a local team or when we go away for a weekend and we have access to a tennis court, like now I want to get back into it. And that was where we, we saw that blurred line of people coming from Web3 and crypto across to tennis and, and vice versa. So yeah, when we, when we talked about the data, I think it was a really important element to use something that was a resource available to us that we didn't necessarily have to recreate or we didn't have to create a new technology to, to utilise that. It was already there and it was being used for a, a single reason, basically, to call the lines. And so to be able to use that technology for another, um, I guess, beneficial product uh, that added value to our event... That was, uh, yeah, a little bit of a gold nugget. I yeah, think, that we found I mean, six weeks to, to kind of build something out probably would have done that. But, I mean, it, it's, it's quite amazing. And, it, and I guess it ties into some of the stuff we were talking about at the start around the gamification mm. and, it to, you know, almost it turning into a collectible, you know. And, and I don't know what your plans are in the future, you know, whether you plan to do that every time. But you could see how over time 
this could turn into an absolute beast, you know, owning the ball that was the winning shot for the Grand Slam and, and that kind of factoring in and, and just, you know, I, I think it's, it, it kind of did turn out to be a bit of a masterpiece, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we've probably, what, I think we're a bit over six weeks since the project launched now and, and we've had a lot of conversations amongst trying to get a little bit of rest as well. Of course. Um, of what comes next. And right now the bar is set so high that we don't want to rush into the what is next because... Six months is a long time in this space. This is the other problem that we have right now is, yeah, six weeks, six months, hey, six weeks six from days. now, six days, six hours in this space. Yeah. Like you can go to sleep tonight and six hours later a project has completely changed. Yeah. Um, and I, this has been part of the education process with our team internally is that this world moves in hours and days, not weeks and months. And for that reason we need to continue to evolve and we need to push the envelope on what comes next and I think we I touched on a a few minutes ago that time can be your friend and your foe this is where it almost becomes our foe in a way because we now have the time to sit back and go okay what do we do next and we have a lot of ideas and we have a lot of conversations in market Mm. but we're now getting to that point where we're like what is the right idea yeah. and what's the best idea? You didn't have that luxury like before, we did We didn't you? have that luxury, no. no. So now that we're having those conversations, we're, we're finding that moment of, mm, okay, yeah, how do, we, how do we better what we've already done without adding detriment to the project in its current form? How do we benefit the current holders? How do we benefit the community? Um, what projects do we want to work with? What projects don't we want to work with? Where is the risk now um where is the value um so yeah there's there's lots of questions that we need to ask and answer now that three months ago we probably would have just skimmed over and gone just do this or just do that no (laughs) that's right that sounds right well my gut feel says that's right um so yeah that's that's a big challenge going forward i'm really excited to see where this goes for you guys and and what you come up with next because i think that's going to be really exciting um, one last question that I think oh, I got the hiccups here. I'm in a bit of, a bit of trouble. Um, so I'm going to mould two questions that I had together. Mm. How do you see other big corporations coming into the picture? Because I think we're seeing a lot more of that now. But how do you see other big corporations coming into the picture, and what kind of experiences does that create for the consumer, and how does that change the landscape? And then I'm just going to roll on to this other question mm. which is how are you seeing the space and what do you think comes next like what's the next 12 months look like yep just from a personal perspective yeah cool um the the big business <coughs> excuse me the big business question is an interesting one the big corporates coming in this has been happening in in real life for years mm. i look at fitbit which started as a, a small startup in a garage two guys had an idea this is what we're going to do they created a a watch or not a watch sorry a a fitness tracker before Mm. it was even a watch it had dots on it that showed you how many steps you'd done in a day that then turned into like a 1500 strong employee business that then got bought out by google Mm. when they came and said hey we we want a piece of this pie and we want to use our technology and our creative resource to make it even better and that's been happening in every industry since Adam was a boy. Yeah. And it will happen in this industry and in this this world that we're living in. It already is. We've seen Nike buy up Artifact. We've seen mm. a number of other collaborations between global brands. <clears throat> Adidas late last year obviously launched their, their platform. We're seeing brands buying up land in Sandbox and, and different metaverses and Decentraland and the likes. I have to put my hand up and say Tennis Australia and the AO is effectively a global corporation these days that we're in that space now. So yes, it's happening. I can only see it as being a good thing. The the amount of creative minds, and I think we have to keep in mind that right now this is a innovative creative space. Yeah. And the the creative minds that exist within a lot of these big corporations are only going to benefit the space going forward. If we've got creative directors coming in from the likes of Nike and Adidas and some other g- 
global brands that can add value to this space, absolutely it's a good thing. Um, there'll be bad that comes with it as well. There always is. Like it's inevitable. Yeah. It's inevitable. Um, we're seeing a lot of banks now buy space in, in, in worlds. We're seeing them explore and invest more into crypto. Um, it was always going to happen. It's been happening for years. Uh, it's only just finding its way to the mainstream and the front pages of, of your uh, newspapers, which we don't really read newspapers anymore. We read websites. Um, it's finding its way to the mainstream now and, and it's finding positive connotation and it's finding negative connotation. I think you, all say, you always see when Bitcoin is down by 20% but you never see it's up by 20%. You always see the negatives and the scams and, and whatnot, but you don't necessarily see the positives that come with this or the millions that are making their way into to charities and, and organisations that provide help for people that may not otherwise be able to access this type of platform. Mm. So um, also to answer the second part of the question, where do I see it going? Um I think I used the credit card example in the very first part of our conversation that right now we're at the carbon copy era of credit cards. Mm. Um, in six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years, this world is going to change an enormous amount. Yeah. I don't think anyone can predict where it is or where it goes. Um, it's here to stay, I believe. Um, others may think different. There's going to be evolutions of this space over the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever it happens to be that, that benefit it. There's going to be um, downsides that we learn from and fix and new technologies will help to, I think, uh, evolve that very quickly. It'll also, those ne new technologies uh, will help to make this, this space more sustainably friendly. Uh, it'll make it less clunky. It'll make it safer. Uh, it'll make it faster and it'll make it more widely used by a larger range of, of audiences mm. uh, and adopters. And I think it'll move incredibly quickly. I I don't think anyone will necessarily predict where it's at. We can't fathom it. We, we can listen to the, the Gary V's and the, the Elons as much as we want. But I think at the end of the day, it's it's going to move really quickly and it's here to stay. Um it's, it is an evolution of, of where we've come from in the last 5, 10, 15 years with the same way that Facebook and Instagram were an evolution of MySpace. Yeah, and nobody predicted that. No, of course not. <laughs> nobody, no. nobody predicted Facebook or Instagram or social media. You know, we were trying to wrap our heads around the fact that a website was a thing, you know. Totally, yep. in, in the 2000s and, and, you know, late 90s. So it's... You know, I 100% I agree. I love to ponder on it. Yeah, Because <laughs> it challenges me, but, you know. Exactly. To think that, to think that we understand where it's going to be in five years, you know, like even just how far it's come in two years. Oh, 100%. I think now is the opportunity for people to be researching and learning and probably making some mistakes. Like I think we look at how you go to university or TAFE or school to learn about things and then when you want to learn about something specific, you do a specific course on that. That doesn't really exist in this world right now because everyone is learning at such a pace that you have to learn on the fly. And right now is a great opportunity for people to start learning and dipping their toe in the water a little bit. But in doing that, it does take research and it does take time and you have to read and you have to watch and you have to be able to weed out the the tyre kickers and you have to be able to weed out the guys that are just after YouTube views and mm. trying to make their money through telling you what to do. And if you don't believe that that's the right way to go about it, then research something else, find someone more reputable to listen to. So Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing that I'm noticing in this space and, and like even myself is like there's two point of views that I see, you know, and, and there's a point of view that like we're all in this journey together and learning at the same time. And there's probably a handful of people that are truly experts, you know, mm. that truly, truly are experts. And those people even say they don't know where it's going. You know, when we sat down, at, you know, the NFT Melbourne talk and, you know, someone like Maddie, who, you know, you would class him as someone who knows a lot about this space. Mm. Even he turns around and says, oh, I don't know. You totally. know like, and yep. I think that's the, the kind of mentality is, and even what we're trying to do with this podcast is it's like we're not positioning as experts 
we're positioning as we're on this journey do you want to come along for the ride and we can have conversations that maybe you know uh, help us think about potentially how we can look at the space mm. and where we can mm. go to research and these kind of things as well um and then there's the other side of it right where well this is kind of what you talked about where there are people where it's like it's all about the views and it's it's all about you know um and that's a real reality is Absolutely. that there's going to be unfortunately there's a bad to every good you know and and that's something that um you know i think there's a lot more awareness around it now though Mm. which is good but there are two sides so and i think that's one thing that everybody has to pay attention to is like you know discord's a great place to build network and relationships it's also a great place to get scammed totally oh 100 (laughs) percent. yeah you know what i mean so (laughs) there's there's two sides to it definitely yeah, and I think, um, yeah, a, a piece of advice is for people to, to take their time in what they're doing. Don't rush. Learn, educate yourself. Ask people that you know in the space that you trust. Like, find your friends who are, are already investing. Ask them about the mistakes that they've made. Mm. What did they learn? Don't ask them what the next big project they believe is. Ask them for their education, their learnings from months or weeks or or hours gone by and and learn from that don't uh don't make the same mistakes that they did 100 percent. that's the best piece of advice that i can i can give as well you know or at least just reiterate is you know go in open mind but don't rush not necessarily an open wallet yeah Keep exactly, the wallet closed exactly. For a little bit longer <laughs> exactly. open the mind before you open the wallet <laughs> yeah exactly awesome mate um Look, man, that was amazing. I think what you guys have done has really paved the way for Australia um, as a whole um, in the space. And, you know, just going into detail then about the project, I hope it opens the minds of our listeners to what is possible in this realm and the value that it can unlock for people, the experiences that it can give um, everybody, you know, equally uh, around the world as well, which is great. Um, And I'm excited to see what you guys do in the future. What I'll get you to do is tell everyone where they can find you. So, you know, where, you know, maybe LinkedIn or, or something like that and, and where they can keep an eye out on, you know, maybe some of the conversations that are happening from, you know, AO, but also yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Fortunately, I've got a pretty unique name that's going to be pretty easy to search. So um, if you hunt down Ridley Plummer, uh, you can add me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter, add me on Instagram, whatever you want to do. Um, feel free to send me a note if you've got any questions. Uh, absolutely, I can I can be that sounding board that can provide some advice and and tell you what I believe and don't believe and what might help you in the future. Awesome, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate your time. Um, that was a great conversation, Mardo. Thanks for putting it together, my man. Um, and to our listeners, uh, just a massive <laughs> thank you. We've we the last two weeks or three weeks, the last month has been absolutely crazy. We we. Last week, um, we, we were number 11 on Spotify, which was really crazy. Um, so, you know, the, the support just on the social media and across YouTube, absolutely everything's been amazing. So I just want to say a big shout-out to you guys once again, uh, and thanks for that. Um, and we'll see you guys next week.